0: Uh, morning everyone. Uh, how's your prayer life? How's your love life? How's your life of service? Uh, we're going to come back to those three questions. I realize the second one might need a bit more explanation, otherwise it might be some confusion. But uh, two weeks ago, the last time we were in First Peter, we, we, we read and what, we looked at what was a pretty tough section. I'm not sure how many of you were here but there were parts of what we looked at two weeks ago at the end of chapter three and at the start of chapter four that threw up a number of interesting challenges for us. So for example, what does it mean that Jesus preached to imprisoned spirits after he was made alive? But although there were tricky bits to that section, I tried to make the point that the main message of that section for the original readers was this, keep looking to Jesus. Keep looking to Jesus. Keep arming yourself with the same attitude as Jesus and hang in there. Hang tough against the backdrop of hassle and abuse that you are receiving and you will receive because you believe in and you follow Jesus. These first century Christians were suffering for their faith. And Peter was encouraging them to to keep going Just keep going. Stay focused. And then he said to them, I want you to live the rest of your lives for something. And I don't know if you can remember what what Peter said they were to live the rest of their lives for. He says, I want you to live the rest of your lives for for the will of God, as opposed to earthly desires. So he went on and he says to them, listen, what I don't want you to do, I don't want you to entertain certain vices. Even though the pressure to do so is intense, even though you're gonna be ridiculed for not entertaining certain vices. And so Peter says to them, listen, don't get involved in immorality, or lust, or getting drunk, or sexual promiscuity or these anything goes parties, or the worship of idols. Instead, here's what I want you to do. I want you to live the rest of your lives to please God, to honor God, to glorify God for the will of God. And that is, and that remains our challenge today. That's our calling as 21st century disciples of Jesus Christ. The message is still the same. And although the backdrop may be different, and as I confessed and I admitted a fortnight ago, I I don't really suffer for my faith. But although my environment and our environment isn't as hostile as their environment, Peter's advice, the teaching of Scripture, doesn't alter. It is no less relevant. We all here this morning who have taken communion, who believe and follow Jesus, we must be committed to living the rest of our lives for the will of God. And as we come to our text today, we discover what this actually means, what this actually looked like looks like what living for the will of God looks like in the everyday on the ground in my life and in yours or what it certainly should look like. We're not left guessing. Okay, God, I hear what you're saying. I've got to live the rest of my life for your will. But what does that mean? What does that involve? Well, Peter spells it out and he spells it out pretty simply. And so this next section that we're about to read in sharp contrast to the previous one, it isn't hard to understand. These next five verses from verse 4 to 11 of chapter 4, they're not head melters. These ones are not tricky to comprehend. But you know what is harder? Do you know what is more challenging? It's the doing. It's the doing. It's the practicing. It's the fleshing what Peter says. It's the living it out. It's letting it go from your head, I hear it, to your heart, yep, to your hands, living it. Head, heart, hands. It's gotta make that journey. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to first Peter chapter four and let's stand for the public reading of God's word. It will be on the screen. Just five verses. First Peter chapter four, these are verses seven where we finished last week to eleven. The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Each should offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Grab a seat. In a nutshell, in a nutshell, pray, love, serve. That's what it means. That is what is involved in living the rest of your life for the will of God. If you do those three things, if you make these three three things a priority in your life from here on in, then you'll do okay. You will hang in there. You will hang tough. You will live the rest of your life for the will of God. So the question I want to ask this morning is, how is it going? How is your prayer life? How is your love life? How is your life of service? Let's explore these verses a little closer. Now, they begin with a phrase that has the potential to distract. The end of all things is near, or the end of all things is at hand, depending on your version. It's absolutely true. Absolutely true. But what does it mean? Well, the danger is we immediately think chronology. We tend to think time frame, time scale. And given that Peter said this 2,000 years ago or thereabouts, we naturally assume that his understanding of near or at hand is very different from ours. It's very different from anybody else's for that matter. So you can read this as many do and think, you know something... Peter got this wrong. I mean, Peter got this badly wrong, especially for his original readers. He told them the end of all things is near, and yet here we are two millennia later. It still hasn't happened. It's nearer, it's more at hand for us than it was for them. But even then... Is this about trying to work out, trying to suss out, when it's going to happen? No. Do you know why? Because nobody knows. Nobody knows when it's going to happen. Not even the angels, and shockingly, not even Jesus, according to Mark. The angels have no clue. Jesus has no clue. And so predicting dates and getting hung up on timescales is a complete waste of time. So what was Peter getting at? What was he saying? Well, Peter was in no doubt, and please hear this, Peter was in no doubt that it could happen at any moment, and it could. But when he said the end of all things is near, he wasn't so much speaking chronologically, he was, if you like, speaking theologically. Let me explain. You see, all the major events in God's redemptive history and plan have occurred. Creation, fall, Abraham, covenant, chosen people, Sinai, promised land, temple, exile, prophets, Jesus's incarnation, Jesus's life, Jesus's death, Jesus's resurrection, Jesus's ascension, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church. And so in God's grand story of redemption, do you know what the next big event is to happen? The next big event to happen is that Christ will return from heaven to put an end to all things. And so the Bible describes all the days after the return of Jesus, after the ascension of Jesus, after the coming of the Holy Spirit, the Bible describes all the days since then as the last days. We all live in the last days. And so Peter rightly says to his readers, and he rightly says to us, the end is at hand. Why? Because the next major event to happen is the second coming. And that could occur at any moment, yes, but that is the next major, exactly when, roughly when, not the issue. The issue is it's happening next. You can be confident of this, and do you know what? You need to be living in light of this reality and with that in view and with that in mind. And the question then is, okay, so how, how, How do I live knowing that that is the next major event that is gonna happen, that's gonna bring an end to all things? How do I live in light of that truth, that reality, that fact? Well, as Peter goes on in verse seven, he says, therefore, so what he's saying, therefore, in light of this reality, here's how you should live. Be alert, be of sober mind so that you can pray. In other words, I want you to keep your heads and I want you to get on your knees. I want you to keep your heads and get on your knees because you see, there's such a temptation to lose your head. There's such a temptation to lose sight of the reality that the end of the world is inevitable and that there is more to this life than what we have at the moment, far more. That one day a whole new world is gonna break in and break out. We live in a culture that is so focused on the here and now, on the temporary and the tangible. And it's so easy for us to get caught up in that, isn't it? So easy to lose sight, lose sense of the bigger picture, to become so wrapped up in and preoccupied with the physical and the material that we forget, we overlook, we downplay, we neglect the spiritual. Peter's readers were physically up against it. They were facing concrete opposition to their faith. It must have been tempting for them to just pack it in and opt for an easier life in this life. It must have been so tempting. It must have been so easy for them to forget the eternal dimension, forget that this life is not all there is. And so Peter urges them, Peter says, listen, you've got to live with a particular mindset. Why? So that you can pray. Because you see, if your mind is not properly tuned into this reality, you will forget that this life is shockingly brief. That in comparison to the next, do you know how long this life is? How long does the Bible describe the life that we're currently living? It is but a what? A breath. It is but a mist. It is but a vapor. That's what this life amounts to. In comparison to the next. And if your mind is not clear about this, then praying and your prayer life will be affected negatively affected. Praying won't become or be a priority. It won't be a core and distinctive part of your life. It won't be the air you breathe. It won't be the language of your heart. But you see, if your mind is alert and it is sober, see if it's clear-headed about real life, about living for God, about living for the will of God, knowing that this life is not all there is, then you will pray more regularly. You will pray more intentionally. You will pray more naturally. You will pray more determinedly. So the question I ask you again is, how is your prayer life? How has it been this week? How is it personally? How is it individually? How is it with others corporately? Because if our prayer life is weak, if we're not praying, if we're not at prayer, if it's an optional extra and it's squeezed most of the time at best, then Peter says, you know what's going to happen? You're going to lose perspective. You know also what's going to happen? You're going to end up living not for the will of God, but you will end up living for earthly desires. And you'll probably become confused about what's really important. You'll probably become muddled about end time stuff. Peter says, listen, you need need to keep your head and you need to get on your knees. And for us, if that means choosing to set aside time every day this week to pray, just do it. If it means choosing to gather with others on Wednesday night at 8 p.m. up on Malone Avenue, just do it. Peter encourages his readers, he says, listen, we need to stay awake in prayer. Secondly, he then tells them, above all, love one another. I love how this verse begins, above all. Do you know there are quite a, and lots of you will know this, there are lots, or quite a few anyway, above alls in Scripture. Have a wee think for a minute before I tell you some of them. Have a we think for a minute of any other above alls you know of in Scripture, which emphasize how important what is being said is. Okay? Most of you will know my life verse. Proverbs 4. 23, which is what? Who can tell me what my life verse is? Which is etched on my body. Who knows it? Above all else, guard your heart. It's written right there. Above all else, guard your heart your heart. Another example of an above all else, Philippians 1:27. above all else live as citizens of heaven. And here in 1 Peter 4, verse 8, we have another one, above all else love each other deeply. Throughout this letter, throughout this letter, those of you who've been following this, you will know that Peter has been highlighting and spotlighting love that should characterize the church. And so back in chapter one, he says this. He says, it's so important that you have sincere love for one another and that you don't just have sincere love for one another, but that you love one another deeply from the heart. That was back in chapter one. Chapter two, he says this. Show proper respect to everyone. Do you remember? Respect, honor the emperor. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. We so said in chapter 2. Chapter 3, the previous chapter, finally, all of you, be like minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. You simply cannot overestimate the importance of love amongst Christians. I know we keep repeating this, but Jesus made it absolutely clear that love for one another provides compelling evidence to an unbelieving world that we belong to Him, that we are His disciples, that we are the real deal. And nothing. Nothing wrecks our witness or destroys the unity of the church more than whenever Christians don't love one another. Nothing. It's one of the reasons Peter writes, above all love. This is so, so important. It is critical. If you want to live the rest of your life for the will of God, you've got to love one another deeply. And if we're not pursuing that church, if harboring or carrying or entertaining anything other than love for one another has found its way into our hearts, into our minds, into our relationships, you know what we must do? We must get on our knees. We must get on our knees, not just admit our sin, but confess our sin. Those two things are different. And what's really interesting here is that Peter is what Peter actually says about this love and what it does a love above all love each other deeply why because it covers a multitude of sins now isn't that fascinating it covers a multitude of sins now that doesn't mean sin doesn't matter like if we love each other who cares what we do that's not what this is saying No, Peter is referring to something from wisdom literature. Peter is referring to something from the book of Proverbs which says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Hatred stirs up strife, love covers all offenses. Peter is concerned with the potential for divisive conflict amongst Christians because he knows as we all do the damage that it causes. And so love covers a multitude of sins means, listen, do you know what you don't do? Within the family of God, do you know what you don't do? You don't go around looking for faults in others. You don't use the sins of others as a springboard to attack them or run them down or talk about them behind their backs. Instead, you know what you do? You love them. You seek to think the best of all your brothers and sisters in Christ. And you are always standing, and this is tough, I know. You're always standing ready to forgive. Hard? It is hard. It is hard. But again, above all, this is so important, and, and I do find it shocking that over the history of the church, the splits, the disunity that exists time and time again amongst Christians. And Peter says, do you, know, do you know what it means to live the rest of your life for the will of God and not for earthly desires? It means that above all, you love each other deeply. So the question I'm asking you this morning, is that your posture here this morning? How is your love life? How is the in-dimension of this triangle? We live up, we live in, we live out, up in relationship to God, in in our relationships with one another, out in our relationships with those beyond these walls. But how is our love life here? because it's by our love for one another that we will say to a world out there that we belong to Jesus. Peter isn't quite finished talking about love. He goes on in verse nine to give a bit of an example of it. He says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Don't you just love the honest earthiness of God's word? Sometimes, maybe all the time, the idea of offering hospitality causes a fair bit of grumbling in any household, doesn't it? Like, like, do we have to have them? Do we have to have them today today? Like, have you seen the state of the... You know, you know all the, the stuff? God's word is so, so honest. I love it. We've just got a... In a sense, Peter says, look, just do it and wind your neck in. And as Juan Sanchez says, every good and perfect gift we have comes from God, including our homes and our food supplies and our budgets and our time. Therefore, it should be a joyful privilege to host our brothers and sisters in Christ. So one expression of loving one another is offering hospitality to one another. So how do we live for the will of God with the end in view? We pray and we love one another, or we eat, pray, love, which sounds like a good title for a book and a film. And then thirdly, thirdly, verse 10, we serve, we love, we pray, we serve. Each of you should do whatever or should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various words. It's so important to remember all of us have been gifted. So important. Let me read the first part of that verse in, in the ESV or the RSV version, because I think it makes the point much, much clearer. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As each has received, every Christian without exception has been gifted to serve. We don't just discover that here in 1 Peter. That is taught throughout the New Testament. Romans, Ephesians, 1 Corinthians, and we've looked at this before. And because we're all gifted, we need to and we must use our gifts in order for the body to function well and function properly. As Peter says here, we are to be faithful stewards of God's grace gifts. In other words, these have been entrusted to us. Why? For use, Every Christian has been gifted. Our responsibility now is to be faithful stewards. In other words, we've got to use the gifts that we've been given use them within the church. Don't just keep them to ourselves or neglect to use them. And as Peter says, we're faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms, which recognizes we're not all gifted in the same way. Gifts are varied. Gifts are multifaceted, but we all have at least one. The question is this morning, again, and we've asked this plenty, is what's your gift? What are your gifts? How are you using them to serve others in this place? And you know, if we cannot answer that question, if we cannot answer that question, then we are missing something in what it means to live the rest of our lives for the will of God. And Peter then describes a couple of kind of general categories of gifting. He talks about speaking and serving in general. And he says, listen, some people have been gifted to speak God's word to others. So pastors, junior church teachers, youth workers, children's workers, small group leaders, counselors, Christians who disciple one another. Some people have just been gifted to speak God's word to others. But the key issue here is we're speaking God's words and not our own, which is why anything we teach in this place to whatever person, to whatever age group, in whatever context has got to be grounded in and has got to flow from here. And secondly, he highlights serving gifts. He doesn't name them here, but there's plenty of them listed elsewhere in Scripture. But he simply makes the point that whoever serves does so and should do so by the strength that God provides. And here's the book. Listen, if God has gifted you, you're to be a faithful steward. You're to use your gift within the body of Christ to serve one another in the body of Christ. But you don't do it in your own strength. You do it in God's strength. God gives you the strength. God gives you the stamina. God gives you the resources that you need in order to serve one another. God has gifted you. God will strengthen you. So just go serve. Keep serving as so many people here do. Down in Newcastle right now, there's a team of people from Windsor who are serving God. 35 to 40 international students just using their God-given gifts to serve. Upstairs, is a bunch of people serving our kids by just sharing God's word with them. A bunch of people next door using their gifts to just serve our kids in Koresh. A bunch of people sitting at the back using their gifts to make all the sign up. People, I know, serve in lots of different ways here. But if you're here this morning and you're not Using your God-given gift to serve within this body of Christ that you belong to. And Peter says, Listen, if you want to live the rest of your life for the will of God, you gotta do this. So that's Peter's strong and, and clear advice to his original readers and all subsequent readers. And therefore, kind of in summarizing this morning, gonna ask the guys to come back up here. In summarizing this morning, Peter says, Listen, the the end of all things is going to happen. That's a given. That's the next major event that is going to take place in God's redemptive plan. It's going to happen. do going to happen when. Just know it's going to happen. And it could happen at any moment. And so you need to live your life in light of that reality. You need to be clear-minded so that you can do three things. So you can Pray. Pray. Above all else, love one another deeply. Offer hospitality being one expression of that. And serve one another in body Christ. And see, when we do this, when we do this, God is glorified. We don't do this for a church. We don't do this for anyone else. We do this to glorify God. Some people often go, you know, man's chief ends to glorify God and enjoy him forever. What does that mean? What does that look like? Here's what it looks like. Pray love, serve. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen.